Steve Jackson Games for Nordcast, episode 2, August 10th, 2006. Welcome back, fellow Tools of a Conspiracy, to Fenordcast Episode 2. Thanks for all the comments from the Fenordcast forums. You can also email us, fenordcast at sjgames.com. A lot of you out there will be happy to see the RSS feed is now up and on the Fenordcast page. And keep those comments coming. This will soon be the best podcast in the entire world. Coming up, the previews I promised you last time around. We take a look at biotech and also at Munchkin Impossible. We've got two new segments in this episode, a go outside and a look at a campaign idea from Paul. And you might eventually get tired of them, but we have another shameless plug from Warehouse 23. First off, the biggest segment, that biotech preview. I'm Will. I'm the art director and uh, Fenordcast guy. I'm Paul. I'm the marketing director and other stuff. We have seen the proofs for biotech. It is at the printer now, and it will be out sometime in October, I'm told. Correct. October, middle of October-ish. We've started posting online previews. We have indeed, and you can get all of those off from Biotech's product page, which you can find a link to from the Nordcast page. This is our first preview ever, but we're not going to structure it like a lot of other previews. We're going to look at it as what we think is cool. Yep. This is just us glancing through the book, through the proofs, and going, ooh, that really jumped out at me. And that's what we'll be reviewing. Not so much as employees, just as game fans who happen to get a sneak peek at the preview of the book. (laughs) The very first thing you're going to notice is the layout is slightly different. Now we have two columns instead of three. Yep. We moved from three column to two column. Which, personally, I prefer. Um, there is a, I think a lot of people will welcome the switch back to two-column. But don't get your hopes up that we're going to relay out all the old books. GURPS, basic set, and everything else. It was, it was done in three-column for a reason. There right. was a whole lot of information that had to be crammed in those basic books. So basically, the books that have been previously released will stay in three-column, even when we do new printings and whatnot. But from here on out, we're looking at two column. Unless something really weird happens. Uh, The first thing that really caught my attention when glancing through was the vast amount of real-world information. The the sort of stuff that you would need to run a medical game like ER or House, Law & Order, any game that has a lot of med tech in it. Yes, all the aspiring CSI people out there can now (laughs) run their game. Yep. There's even a chart in there that says how fast bodies decay in different circumstances. Mm -hmm. So you could play whatever the guy's name is on CSI if (laughs) you don't watch it. Uh, I think it has a lot in common with uh, GURPS Mysteries, actually, where there's a lot of real-world information that you could probably uh, use to run a lot of different forensic-type games. And that is the thing you'll notice, that it starts from today. It starts from biological technology understanding right now. And then it just takes it from then and runs with it. It's based on what science thinks we'll have 
and then what science fiction has supposed we might have, and probably a few other things thrown in just for good measure. <laughs> and it does have a nod towards the historical side of uh, how, you know, first genetic engineers bred sheep together, and that that was technically genetic engineering. But it does provide a large uh, amount of data to give you a basis for what genetic engineers have for today, for today's tech. And then it goes, like you say, into tomorrow's tech, which is where more cool stuff, like the grown technology. Uh, One of the examples in there is a fungus that can be used as a computer system, which I thought immediately, okay, I can use that in a game. Yeah, there was a sponge computer too, Mm -hmm. I think, that if, as long as you have it in a tank with nutrients, it runs, <laughs> and it builds itself, and it gets smarter and smarter as it goes. But to totally contradict what I said earlier, it doesn't just take what we have now and run with it. It also gives you options on inserting biotech into your fantasy campaigns because there's an entire section on biotech spells, things that like telling the sex of a fetus spell so that if you really want to be some sort of OBGYN mage, you can do that. <laughs> Yes, you could you could definitely have an entire fantasy world based on biotechnology and biomagics and it would be really weird, but it'd be a good thing for like E twenty three. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of fiction out there where it's like present day America, but magic is in the place of all technology. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to play something like that where instead of using cell phones we use crystal balls or all the cars are flying carpets or whatever, then you could be a doctor who had magical spells. And you could even be an evil doctor who had magical spells. There's some crazy Dr. Moreau kind of things in there. There's a spell that replaces a baby's soul with a demon. And <laughs> there's all kinds of other evil stuff. But not to get too far off track, it gives you options for using biotech and justifying it as a magical thing instead of just saying this is a super high-tech world where science has done everything. Your fungus computer could be biotech magic, not necessarily, you know, 100 years from now, scientists have discovered how to implant nerve cells in fungus. Right. Actually, it has several um, variant tech tracks, which is always a nice thing to have in any tech book, just so you can tweak the, the progression to your particular campaign world. Speaking of campaign worlds, one of my favorite things about the game Paul knew I was going to say this, <laughs> is there is a basically ancient Greece with some technology campaign world where I think it was Hippocrates, instead of making his oath to help mankind and not hurt anyone ever, switched it around and said, knowledge and the pursuit of knowledge is all that matters, so whatever we have to do to accomplish that is okay. So he started experimenting on corpses and sometimes on live people, and he discovered lots more things. Right. So geneticists found out how to how to clone people thousands of years ago, and when Alexander died, they cloned him. The setting's name is Alexander Athanatos, which is a hard-to-pronounce Greek word that means deathless. It's been a few hundred years since Alexander conquered the world with the Greek armies, and he's still alive, or at least a clone of his is. And right. he's still ruling it. His empire never split up, and so it's been stable. And there's even some things in there about putting magic in the setting. 
because if you it's it's not a magical setting, but if you wanted centaurs to exist, they could because some crazy scientist might have bioengineered a centaur. Mm-hmm. Or you could put magic in it and say that some of the bioengineering has magical components. And if you want to create centaurs with technology instead of magic, uh, biotech has that sort of information for all sorts of cat people, snake people, and all sorts of different animal people combinations. And flipping through, I saw in, I think it's the grafting section, some cyberpunk setting vignette where a group of street gangs were grafting animal parts onto themselves, and one gang went by the unicorns because they got narwhal, the whale, they got horn buds, and they implanted them in their foreheads, and now all (laughs) these guys have unicorn horns, and they think they're cool. Yeah. If you remember the vignettes from the previous edition of GURPS Biotech, you'll recognize many of them. Um, Unfortunately, um, the authors didn't see fit to expand them. Of course, there's a lot of information in here. There probably wasn't a whole lot of room for them. One thing they did put more of in in this edition was uh, non-human templates. Uh, Biotech always had a lot of cool stuff in it for making home-brewed alien races, if you will, but there are 28 racial templates in this edition as compared to 17 in the previous, so you got nine more. Uh, and they've added about two dozen sub-races. So there's really, if you're looking for a biomodified character or a bioengineered character and you can't find the template in here, it's kind of surprising to me. Yeah, we've got your Fishman template right here. <laughs> we've got Fishman. Um We've also got uh, virus information, which I found more creepy than than really I should have probably. Viruses that can transform you into whatever the maker wants you to be made into. And uh, for a virus that that would eat tires, rubber, basically, if you released it on the world, vehicles would be disabled. A lot of technology would have to be radically altered. I thought, you know, that's a pretty good idea for a post-apocalyptic. Yeah, if you want Mad Max without cars. Yeah. <laughs> Combine it with the return of magic and you got a yeah. game. And my last coolest thing in the entire book, I, I, I was flipping through and this just leaped out at me as probably, if no other thing, the reason I would buy the book. Because there's a name that drug table. <laughs> Let's say that your character's just been drugged by some evil mad scientist. And to put that extra little tiny bit of coolness in it, you can actually have a name for the drug. And so your players will be, wow, he, he's so, he did so much research, he knows the name <laughs> of the drug. But you didn't really have to. All you had to do is roll 2d6 three times and combine them on the table and you get something. So 11, 33, and 66. I roll doubles every time. Okay. So 11 is Aceto, 33 is Effie, and 66 is Zine. So Aceto, Effie, Zine. You just got drugged with Aceto, Effie, Zine. Oh, no. 
I'm going to die. No, it's okay. It's just a headache medication. Scientists grabbed the wrong syringe. (laughs) Just makes your hair grow. So we hope that that can tide you over until October. We have some more previews coming on the website. Also, one last-minute plug for uh, as a bonus to everyone who listened all the way to the end. If you're going to Gen Con, you will be able to pick up, or you may be able to pick up, a special preview edition of GURPS Biotech. Uh, we're having a very short, very, very short print run done on a pod printer, and they'll be available at booth 1321, uh, run by the capable adventure retail guys. So head on over there and pick one up. It will be soft cover, black and white, but it will be all the goodness of GURPS Biotech. And you will have it before all of your jealous friends. All of them. Like two months before. How can you beat that? The Legion of Doom will go to Toledo for the lovely octopus. Hello, my name is Wayne, and I'm a Warehouse 23 clerk, and I'm here today with another shameless plug. And what I want to shamelessly plug is Dungeoneer, a card game from Atlas Games. Dungeoneer is a card game that's also kind of a board game. The whole point of the game is that you need to go down into a dungeon, beat up a lot of monsters, occasionally take their stuff, and gain levels. Now, I know what you're saying to yourself, and, uh, okay, yeah, it does sound a little familiar. But that's okay, because it's Atlas Games, and we like Atlas Games. The composition of the cards is really, really nice, for starters. The art's good, the quality, just the general cardstock is nice, and the gameplay is really, really solid. The components in it are, unfortunately, all cards. So while it's a board game, you do need to figure out some way to mark where you are on this board you're going to be building with these cards. You have a deck that's called the map deck, and you use that to build the dungeon as you explore it. Every turn, somebody slaps down a map card, and that's another room or another corridor that you can walk down. The counters they provide are these little cardboard things that you have to cut out, and uh, they're, they're just no good. So I find that if you've got any like fantasy miniatures laying around, which... Come on, you do. Or if you've just got, like, glass beads for counters, coins, any of that kind of stuff, it's great. The social aspect of the game isn't too hardcore. There's not a whole lot of player interaction beyond, you know, throwing monsters at each other, which is sort of the primary thing in the way of the adventurers as they go through the dungeon. You have these things called uh, peril counters, and every time you go to a different room in the dungeon, you rack up peril. Ah, but the key is, other players spend that peril to drop a monster on you. The goal of the game is to get your character to the third level, which, again, sounds a little bit like a product we do, but it's not. In fact, I would almost go as far to say as this is Munchkin, but with a little more depth, really, and uh, I hope I don't get fired for saying that. The other great thing about Dungeoneer is that it doesn't matter what set you get. You can buy any, any, are you listening to me? Any, any Dungeoneer set, and you've got the whole game. But you can also go out and buy any, any Dungeoneer set. And now you've got this even bigger game. And you can just keep adding on and adding on and adding on until you've got this monstrous game. Of course, every time you add a set, it gets a little bit longer and uh, mildly more complex. But the rules are fairly straightforward. And Atlas Games has a very comprehensive fact on their website. So it's really easy to get rules questions cleared up at any point in the game. We've been playing it fairly regularly for a couple months, and and it's just such a solid game that we can continually play it over and over again. It's got a little bit of that no two games are ever the same kind of thing going on, because you build a different dungeon every time. And while it doesn't fundamentally change things, it randoms it up just a little bit that it works really well. It scales really well 
to how many players you've got around. And it plays fairly quickly, unless, like I said, you combine several sets, so you can whip it out at a party and you've got something to do for half an hour. Because this is a plug, of course, we carry it. Not only do we carry it, we carry the entire line, including the most recent addition to it, the epic level set, Call of the Lich Lord. I own almost every single Dungeoneer set at this point, and the few I don't own, I'm going to own soon, so I think everybody should go out and buy Dungeoneer. It is super mega fantastic. The Martian Pit Viper is throbbing. And now it's time for... Go outside! Okay, so we've yelled at you, but you still have absolutely no idea what we're talking about. This is our segment about things that aren't games that you should probably do. And we're going to make this fairly widespread, not just movies, not just TV, not just anything. And this first time, we're going to talk about A Scanner Darkly. After the Philip K. Dick novel of the same name. And all those people out there that have seen it and hated it are making ugly faces at us right now. (laughs) That's fine. They didn't understand it. That's the whole thing. Yeah, we decided to do this instead of Superman or Pirates or something else that you've obviously seen and loved because this movie is making no money at all, <laughs> and we think it's worth watching, and we're not being paid to say that. It is very worth watching. It is a trippy, messed-up little movie based on Philip K. Dick's personal drug experiences and his ideas about losing your identity and being manipulated by the government and all sorts of cool nifty stuff that really deserve to be examined more in cinema. And the only actor I didn't think did a really good job was Keanu Reeves, but he did the same job he always does. Yes. So yes. I I really want to like Keanu Reeves because the roles that he is in, but I mean he did fine in the first half of the movie. But then there at the end, when his character was supposed to be all burned out, it just didn't work because he was acting the same as he did for the rest of the movie. I thought Robert Downey Jr. was really good in it as a crazy person. A brilliant crazy person. Yes. Yeah, he was excellent. And Woody Harrelson was kind of, wow, it's Woody Harrelson acting crazy. I didn't understand the hair at all. I really hope that was a wig. Yeah. And not just something that some hairdresser had done to him. But Winona Ryder was very nice. She did her role well, and I thought there was a lot of, especially when you get to the, the big paradigm shift at the end, her emotions came through very nicely, I thought. And now let's talk about the other glaring issue, at least in our office, about the movie, and that's rotoscoping. Alex hates it Alex bad. hates it. Alex makes hissing sounds when he even <laughs> thinks about rotoscoping because he has bad Lord of the Rings memories. <laughs> um, yes. the ro- what, What's it called again? Rotoscoping. Rotoscoping. It's yeah. the art of drawing over film. I don't know why they call it rotoscoping. They could just call it drawing over film. What, why ever they call it what they call it, it works perfectly for the technology that's in the movie, the scramble suits. I don't think the movie would have worked half as well if it was just live action with special effects. Because not to give anything away, but there are some trippy scenes in it. And things morph or things are moving because the characters are high and the table kind of slides around. But if they would have tried to pull that off with just a wire on a table and kind of have it moving a little bit, it just w- it wouldn't have worked. Right. Because it's a perspective thing more than anything else, I think. I agree. The idea to bring in rotoscoping was brilliant for such a intoxicated film. <laughs> and it is a very intoxicated film. Yes, yes. If you have issues about blatant and 
frequent drug abuse, because we should be clear here, these people aren't using drugs. They are abusing yeah. drugs and being abused by drugs in the in the worst possible way. They're, I mean, the main character has lost his wife and children. He's losing his mind, uh, his job, and his girl. It's, it's definitely a strong anti-drug message, that is for sure. And even at the end, they put Philip K. Dick's section from the book, his dedications or whatever, to all the friends he's lost. And he says to Bob, who's now paranoid, to Leroy, who had his liver removed, to this guy who's dead, yes. to this guy who has no liver and is paranoid, yeah. psychosis. And so it's, it, it really hammers in at the very, very end that he wrote this because yeah. he knows a lot of people who have ruined their lives. And on that list, there was uh, to Phil who has permanent pancreatic damage or whatever, that's him. He, yeah. he included himself on that list of people who have been way messed up. Uh, the movie didn't carry his core message as well as I'd hoped, but a lot of people are going to see it and see it just as entertainment. And then, I guess that's okay. But we think, and that's why we did a Go Outside on it, it is a geek-worthy film, and you should go and see it. If you haven't read the book, you should go out and do it. It's a good book. If you haven't seen the movie, it's in wide release now. Uh, we saw it a couple of weeks ago in its limited release over at the Alamo Draft House, which we should give a shout-out to because Alamo Draft House is a fantastic theater to see movies at. Yeah. And that was our Go Outside review of A Scanner Darkly. Roger Rabbit is infiltrated by the Batcave and pitches the Klingon. We're giving you both our brand new segments back to back. This one's Infinite Worlds, our discussion of campaign ideas. The first one's from Paul. One of the digressions we cut out of the recording of the biotech preview dealt with Justifiers. Justifiers is a science fiction role-playing game that was a favorite of mine way back in the day. Uh, it was put out by Starchild Productions, I believe. Uh, Clifford Van Meter, using the pen name Gideon, did all of the art and most of the game design. It was a cute little uh, digest-sized book. The main attraction for me, what caught my eye in the game store, was the character on the cover of the book had armor similar to Alien Legion, which was a comic I was reading at the time from Epic. So I thought, oh, maybe that's about Alien Legion. That was back in early 90s. The book and all the supplements are out of print now, and I believe someone else has picked up the rights and is talking about doing a new edition someday soon. The premise is pretty basic. Uh, the world is in the future, uh, but only two pieces of technology have really advanced. Uh, the first is a teleporter, which can drop people on planets from many, many light years away. And this is how the majority of the corporations who now run the world get their resources. The other piece of technology that has advanced is the biotechnology, which ties into biotech. They have learned to graft humans and animals. This is not real hard science because the core book includes templates for dogs and bears, of course, and cats, but also for praying mantis and turtles and hawks with huge feathery wings. It was kind of goofy, but it was lots of fun to play. I've run it using GURPS many times, and with biotech, it'd be darn simple. Uh, you just take a couple of 
human-animal hybrid sort of templates from biotech and add in machine guns and cell phones and walkie-talkies and ATVs that they get dropped on the planet with, and you're good to go. Using this premise for a one-shot game, you would just have a group of justifiers be teleported to the surface of a, a new planet where they explore and look for mineral rights or whatever for the corporation. And, of course, throw in alien technology for a complication make the game interesting. For a short-term game, you could expand it. Perhaps they get teleported into orbit with a uh, shuttlecraft with which they survey the planet and spend the entire campaign exploring that. Uh, a longer campaign could add more planets, and uh, as they gain in expertise and money and bonuses from the corporation, perhaps they could even buy their own little world away from worlds where they wouldn't have to do such dangerous work to survive anymore. That was a little something that was not closely enough related to the biotech preview that we felt like probably should cut it off. Plus, it was just me talking, and Will didn't really get a word in edgewise since he wasn't familiar with the game. But we thought you might be interested in hearing my campaign ideas for justifiers using Kirk's biotech. Captain Kirk helps the court. We are getting close to the end of Fenordcast Episode 2, but before we leave, the second promised preview... Our problem for this one was how do you preview Munchkin? So much of the joke is in the art, and it really just wouldn't come across at all well being described. Ha ha! Look at that guy's big nose. So we came up with the next best thing. Possibly a continuing segment on the Fenordcast. We like to call it Munchkin Theater. I, Apocalypso, will destroy the world. Not if I have anything to say about it. I have fruit combat training and a bulletproof dinner jacket. But I have a stolen nuclear weapon. Oh no, I can't defeat you by myself. Comrade Dusty McRonan, let us help this British agent. Hand me my silent bazooka. Then you will face the wrath of my not-so-secret police in their black helicopter. Curse this American foreign policy. It favors Apocalypso with its dehydrated ninjas. Dusty! Dusty, no! No! We are going to lose. We must flee. Da, comrade. I agree. Luckily, I brought my jet backpack. If only I had a loaded die. And now the world is doomed. <laughs> a loaded die. You could probably use a loaded gun. That is fine. <laughs> I can do a load. <laughs> and that will bring an end to episode two of the Fenorcast. Keep sending us those comments on the SJ Games forums and Fenordcast at sjgames.com. This is a production of Steve Jackson Games. All music written and performed by Tom Smith at tomsmithonline.com. Mm-hmm.